Okay. Let me put this away. Let's turn to the 12th chapter of the book of John. John 12 is on page uh, 1580. And we start with verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And if any man serve me, let him follow me where I am, there shall also my servant be. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Let's bow our heads. Another precious portion of thy word. And we ask tonight as we look into it that thou wilt open our understandings, take our mind off of things in the world, even just for an hour, and may we be blessed by learning more about our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Once again, we have our Lord saying, The hour is come. And this particular hour is not 60 minutes. <laughs> uh, you know, people say, Well, aren't you supposed to take the Bible for exactly what it means? Yes, you are. But there's also... Sometimes when the scripture is going to be explained by even another scripture, but in this case, the hour is not 60 minutes because we've got a lot to go yet. In fact, if we were to just read in the scriptures for the next hour, we wouldn't probably just about get to Calvary. But look at John 5, verse 28 and 29. John 5, 28 and 29. This is another one of these hours that people get all messed up. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. So the second verse kind of explains what hour are we talking about? Well, these hours are time periods and they're not 60 minutes. But we do know from Revelation 20 that there's going to be a resurrection of the just, a resurrection unto life eternal for believers. And that same chapter tells us that 1,000 years later, the unjust, those that have done evil, will be raised to the resurrection of damnation. Now there's your two resurrections. It's not the same hour. They will each have their own hour, the resurrection to a life eternal and the resurrection to damnation, split by 1,000 years. A lot of people don't know, don't get it. They don't compare scripture with scripture and they certainly don't realize 
that Revelation is progressive. And when you get to the end of the book of Revelation, that's the last words we have from our Lord to us. This is God's book. And uh, I know there's things in Revelation going to be appear hard to understand. But it's not hard to understand 1,000 years to any of us that have had any mathematics whatsoever in school. And then for the Lord to put 1,000 years in that one chapter six different times, people are totally without excuse to say, it doesn't mean a 1,000 years. So, same with one, the hour is come. Well, what does our Lord have in mind when he says glorified? He said, he's, uh, the hour is come that the Son should be glorified. His raising from the dead would be glorious. His ascending into heaven would be glorious. And sitting on the right hand of God would be glorious. His pouring out the Holy Spirit upon his disciples who should go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. That should be glorious. And uh, this preaching of the gospel would convert many of them and it would be to his glory. How do we know that the Lord saving sinners is to his glory? Well, the Bible tells us, 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10. It says, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe in that day. But then in the brackets in between it says, and... Uh, uh, to all them that believe because our testimony among you is believed. Paul's always telling who he's writing to or who uh, he's working with to be followers of him. Uh, if you believe what the Apostle Paul taught, you'd have eternal life because he talks about Christ and he talks about eternal life. Well, regardless of how this was to be accomplished, Always uppermost in the mind of our Lord Jesus was to do the Father's will, which was to love those and save those whom the Father gave him. Here we go back into basic salvation. What's basic about it? The very fact that God is the originator and author of our salvation, and man had no input into it whatsoever. But we'll go to John 6 and look at verse 37 through 40. John 6 37 through 40. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Very enlightening uh, bit of fact there. The Father gave him a people. And he said, this people the Father gave me, they shall come to me. There's nothing in the road to hinder them. There's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be... Uh, there might even be detours in the road, but they're still going to make it. They shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I'll in no wise cast out. Here's a good reason. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So... 
this here again is another word, day, it's not 24 hours. This last day is going to be a day in this dispensation. It's not going to be the end of the world, the last day period. It's only the end of this dispensation when it has to do with resurrection. The very next thing that we are looking forward to is the day of resurrection. When the Lord comes to give us our bodies, regardless of what's going on in the world, there's nothing right now that has to happen before the Lord comes back. So this can take place at any time. The day that he raises us up from the dead, he calls it here the last day. It's the last day of the day of Gentiles, uh, too. Well, uh, go to John 17 now just for a moment, and we're going to look at verses 2, 23, and 24. John 17, 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. There's such clear, simple little words, clear as a bell to understand, as many as thou hast given him. He doesn't give eternal life to any others. There are no joiners, and there's nobody getting left out. The ones that the Father gave him, he will give eternal life to. And verse 3 is so good uh, too. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You know God the Father. You know the Lord Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. When you're coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he is the God-man, he will reveal the Father to you. How does he reveal? Well, just like we just got through reading in John 6. He said, this is the Father's will. That of all that he gave me, I'm not to lose any a single one. It's the Father's love to you as a sinner is the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ came to pay our sin debt and earn a perfect righteousness for us that we could have eternal life. Well, here the Lord Jesus is saying that he wills the same thing that his love poured those whom the Father gave him wanted them to always be with him and behold the glory that was as the God-man redeemer. I see, well, I forgot to read you in John 17, 24, 23. Verse 23 says, I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hath loved them as thou hast loved me. Does the Lord Jesus want us with him? Well, that's what he says. In verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Now, you and I aren't there yet. You and I are believers. We've been given to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll never understand why us, when there are so many other more wonderful people in the world, but when we realize the scripture says he died to save sinners, he came to save the lost sinner, and the reason why the Holy Spirit has proven to each and every one of us that we are a sinner, that we deserve to go to hell because we're lawbreakers, there's hours upon hours and days after days and weeks after weeks that very little 
thought is even given to God where his people when he delivers them they do give him more thought but our natures are so that it's not the way we would like it when we have our new bodies we'll be able to worship properly we'll be able to know him be with him praise him and uh, do his bidding we are going to be uh, I'm going to say servants of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout eternity and it'll be a very happy servitude um, he just wants us to be with him and I'm sure that when we have our new bodies there we will always feel like we want to be near him but these things are yet in the future we'll learn about that one day but the steps to glory don't go straight up they first had to descend into the realm of darkness hell and death so verse 24 in John 14 let me see John 12 I mean John 12 Um, page 1580 that's the 12th chapter of John verse 24 he, he's, he's going to tell us here he gives the disciples a mini parable showing that he must die how does he say it verse 24 verily verily I say unto you except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die it abideth alone but if it die it bringeth forth much fruit he speaks of one grain of wheat as long as it sits in a granary before it ever was used for planting it produces nothing our Lord in applying that to himself said it abideth alone that is if he as if he had not died he should have been alone I'm not saying not without the Father and the blessed Spirit nor without the holy and elect angels but without any of the sons of men who all fell and died in Adam but God back in eternity set his love upon him and so the Lord Jesus Christ had set his love upon him and this is what we mean there wouldn't be now one of them saved but had not Christ died none of them would have lived no one's sins would be paid for no one would be justified no one would be regenerated Christ would abide alone in heaven without them but here's his will and we already read it in John 17 24 the Lord Jesus Christ praying to the Father says I will that those you have given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory wow how wonderful now why would our Lord use the word wheat to compare himself with well wheat is the most excellent of all grains and he our Lord is the chiefest among 10,000 angels or men wheat is pure and clean our Lord even in his human nature was pure and free from sin look at 1 Peter 2:22. 1st Peter 2:22 page 1790 
Now Peter is one who is going to just say exactly what he has seen or exactly what he thought and not hold his tongue. But here he says, who did no sin and neither was guile found in his mouth. And he observed the Lord Jesus Christ for a good three and a half years and he found no sin and no guile. And then talking about wheat or grain, one of the things our Lord said about himself is that he was the bread of life. Look at John 6, verse 48. John 6, 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. But this is the bread which cometh down from heaven, not that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Well, for wheat to become bread, it must be threshed. It's got to be ground and sifted and kneaded and baked before it is fit for food. All of this may express the sufferings and death of Christ in order to be the proper food for the faith of his people. We are reminded that all of this was the Lord's doings. Really? Look at Isaiah 53, verse 10. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. We just said that wheat had to be all worked over and beat up. He hath put him to grief. So it's God's doing. God the Father's love to the sinner that in spite of his great love for his son Still the Father loved the sinner, the Son loved the sinner, and this plan of salvation with God becoming one of us, becoming flesh and blood, and then having to give that flesh and blood as a sacrifice. This is amazing. This is mysterious. But we see that it's God, the author and finisher of our faith, to please the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Acts 2 and verse 23. And we're going to have a New Testament description of that same thing. Acts 2.23. On page 1600. Him being, de being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Why are we reading this? It's going to tell you that God is the one who bruised him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. When God has planned something, it's going to go through regardless of what it is. And that has to do with the prophecies that run throughout the Bible, no matter how far-fetched, how seemingly impossible the prophecy is concerned with it'll happen 
we uh, in our Christmas story we were told about Herod killing all those young children well that was prophesied in the book of Jeremiah that it was going to happen uh, that uh, Rachel was going to be weeping for her children because they were not and who in the world would have ever imagined that this is what it was talking about about Herod killing those probably thousands of babies maybe hundreds of I don't know but it was some kind of terrible and uh, it had to be the Lord said it was going to happen and it did uh, verse 25 in our John 12 John 12:25. he that loveth his life shall lose it he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus was unique that is there's no other death was like his his was a pre-planned death before the world was created our Lord Jesus was the lamb or the propitiation for the sins of the elect how do we know that Let's look at Revelation 13 and verse 8. Revelation 13 and verse 8. Always when I turn to this scripture, I have to tell you that this chapter is about the Antichrist when he's in his glory, when he is ruling the world, when the Lord is letting him fulfill the purpose that God preserved him for. But verse 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Talking about the Antichrist. But these people that worship the Antichrist, their names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When was the Lord Jesus Christ crucified? Well, at least 4,000 years after Adam was created. So this is in God's plan or in God's mind as if it's already happened. The lamb slain before the world was even created is what that means. So that's kind of wonderful. This sacrifice is God's purpose. Where does we talk about purpose? Well, look at um, 2 Timothy 1.9. And we've been there many, many times too. Boy, am I glad Paul put this in the Bible because if I was to try to mention something without it being here, it would seem uh, kind of out of place. But verse 9 says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. That's why he saved us and called us. When was it given to us? Which was given us? in Christ Jesus before the world began. You mean we were fitted up with the Lord Jesus Christ <coughs> even before the world was created? Yes. You see, God doesn't learn anything new. He's known everything from eternity past. And part of that knowledge that God knew was that we were one of those that God gave to the Lord Jesus Christ to be our substitute. He... Uh, We'll never understand it. I can just merely give you facts from the Bible. God planned all this before anything was created, and it included 
even our names, our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, if anyone has a problem with God exerting his own purpose, doing what he wants to do, we will have to look then at Daniel 4 and verse 35. Daniel 4, 35. What's that going to prove? Well, it's going to prove to us that God does exactly as he pleases, whether it's in heaven or whether it's in hell or on earth. Uh, that's going to be Daniel... We can read verse 34 with it because this is when Nebuchadnezzar gets his mind back. God took his mind away for seven years to humble him. Well, this king, the most proud, the most powerful individual in the world at the time, gets his mind back, and here's what he has learned. Verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Now that to me is a wonderful description of the sovereignty of our God. He does as he pleases. Well, the death of the God-man along with the sufferings in his life are both vividly displayed hundreds of years before he was born. And when we read in Isaiah 53, well, like verses 10 through 12, let me, let me read it to you. Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, and when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This very personal the very sin debt that you and I acquired through life is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says, And therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Everything the Lord Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross is mentioned here in these three verses, which is, makes this Bible so amazing to us to start with. Uh, no other person who died did so to please God as a substitute for others because man cannot be a substitute for another one. Only the Lord Jesus Christ could. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. 
Second Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And when it says God has made him to be sinful, well, God hates sins so awfully that the full wrath of God was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ as our substitute. It never could be poured out completely upon us because we could not undertake it. It would be impossible for the full wrath of God to be poured out upon any sinner. But it could be upon the Lord Jesus Christ because he was the God-man. And he had did no sin. And so actually, it's unjust for him to suffer the punishment that belongs to us. I guess that's why Peter says he died to just for the unjust. Uh, of course, once again, whenever we mention that scripture and it says he died to just for the unjust, how many people claiming to be a Christian, will ever accept the fact that they are unjust. Nothing has changed them. Uh, you remain unjust until the day you quit breathing. But you're an unjust, pardoned sinner. We are going to sin. That's our nature. Uh, we'll cry against it. We'll fight against it. And like the Apostle Paul said, he had himself, had not completely, um, completely made it, hadn't completely... Um, fulfill being without sin. In fact, what he tells us in Romans 7, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can uh, deliver me from this body of sin? So no other person entered into the awful suffering and death with joy and determination. This is truly an amazing scripture also. It's Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, those words don't clear up too much in our heart or in our mind. We're only reading that he was delighted to be able to be our substitute, and yet he had to endure the cross. The horrible, horrible suffering of any of us would have to face that, we would probably uh, quit breathing. It was horrible to under, undertake being crucified. I'm sure that that type of death was ruled out uh, shortly after it even happened. Uh, it was a Roman invention. It was horrible. Uh, there may be other worse ways to die than that. But that was certainly so that his blood could be poured out. Okay. Now these scriptures that we just read to you and that some of you looked up are the most important words that you'll ever read or, or hear about. How you receive them, how you act upon them, how you believe them determines where you will spend eternity. You see, in the verse, in the verse just before this verse 25, our Lord spoke of his death 
and that it would bring forth much fruit. Now the fruit goes through the same process. It's part of the same tree or vine. Spiritually, all of God's children die with Christ. It's, uh, well, look at Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, what about us physically? Here's the part that man's nature fights against. Our Lord in clear words tells us that if you love this life, set your heart and affections upon the things of this world, you will lose your life. That is, lose it eternally. He's talking second death. He's talking uh, spending eternity in a lake of fire. And all God's people love their life. This is a natural thing to do. Not to love this life is unnatural. Now, every school of learning is geared to teach us how to succeed in life how to be a leader, how to be a winner, how to improve your life, how to be popular, how to win friends and influence people. But only the Bible and God's ministers warn you to use this life to get to know Christ and serve Him. So when we were talking about God's people in this world, you will love your life because your life is hid with Christ. The unbeliever has nothing to hide his life in but sin. To serve Christ in this world is to bring frowns from the world upon you. Really? Look at John 17, verse 14. John 17, 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You know, people that have a dislike for the gospel will find fault with the minister. It could even be a relative. It could even be somebody's daddy. But they will pick and they will find fault with all kind of little things in their life because really, basically... They don't like what you believe. So when the world says it's going to hate you because you have God's word, it isn't that type of hatred where they're going to be hanging out with a baseball bat to put you away. It's just that deep down inside, they are not going to like what you believe. So what our Lord is saying, you might as well give up on trying to please and follow the world if you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You will lose your life. Your life will be hid in Christ. And let's look at Colossians 3.3. 3. Colossians 3.3. 3. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. 
in our last scripture is going to be Philippians 1 and verse 29. Just back a page or two. Philippians 1, 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Churches full of people. All people have with Bibles. Do not know that's in the Bible. They can't see giving up anything, changing anything, as long as they add religion to their life. They'll continue their life as they've been doing, but they will go to church. They may have Bible study, but they have no intentions of changing or coming out from the world. This is just one of the things that God's grace gives to a believer that they hold nothing sacred or nothing dear except to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, are we ever blessed with God giving us that kind of grace, that kind of spiritual knowledge to know that everything we have is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you tonight for the scriptures. Thank you that we can uh, go over a mini parable that the Lord Jesus Christ gave about wheat, about him having to die for us to be the fruit. Imagine being called a fruit, and that's exactly what we are. We're even different than that. We're called a bride. We're called his body. We're called his church. And whatever we're called, as long as we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and call us anything. But we thank you for those you sent out here tonight. Not many, just a couple, but cream of the crop. And we ask that thou will continue to help us keep these scriptures uppermost in our mind that... We will live each day communing with thee through thy word and through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.